everybody. Eve Harrow, Rejuvenation on the Land of Israel Network. It is October 11th, 2021, and here in Israel, it's already the sixth day of Cheshvan, 5782. And I'm very honored to have with me, we seem to have a run of archaeologists, and that was a, okay, we'll explain why that was a very unintentional pun in a minute. Um, but I'm really honored to have with us tonight uh, Dr. Yaakov Billig, whom Many of you have been reading about in the past couple of weeks because he made an extraordinary find. Archaeologist with Israel Antiquities Authority, maybe if we have some time, we'll find out a little bit about his background uh, after he tells us what's putting his name into the newspaper in the last few weeks. So, Dr. Billick, thank you so much for joining me here and for my listeners. You're welcome. I just have to correct you. I still didn't complete my Ph.D., so it is still Mr. Billig, but I, I usually say Mr. Billig was my father. Allah shalom. I'm Yaakov. Okay, but all right, but we're, we're we are, we think in the future. My audience and I, we're always Thank thinking you. about the good things to come, and I'm sure an we'll give you an honorary doctorate, and then you can earn it the old-fashioned way. Um, in any event, so. Uh, well, actually, I mean, I I've been following you for a long time, and there's quite a few things that you've discovered that have really opened up a lot of um, ideas that we didn't have about Yerushalayim, about Jerusalem in the first temple period. So perhaps tell, tell my audience about this last find and then we'll, we'll like, you know, fit it into some of the other things that you have done that are really quite extraordinary. We think that we know so much and it turns out that with every spadeful that comes out of the ground, um, we learn even more. So this last discovery of yours that's been in the headlines can you tell us a little bit about that? And then we'll work backwards, to put it mildly. Okay. Sure. Um, we had a fascinating opportunity to discover a site that was not known before. It is an unusual site because it probably belonged to someone very high on the hierarchy of Jerusalem, maybe even the king or one of the royal family. Wow. I call it a royal estate. But it could also be someone else who was maybe the mayor or one of the ministers, etc. Um, the first thing we found was a very small ornamented capital, uh, known usually as the Proto-Aeolic style. Uh, we were all familiar with the Greek orders where you had the Doric and the Ionic and the Corinthic mm-hmm. orders, which were done in all the classic architecture, usually from the Hellenistic period onwards. But the prototype was already here in uh, the days of the first temple, the Judean and Israelite monarchy, and what is also known as the Iron Age. So it's the proto-Ionic or Aeolic uh, capital design. Now, again, another introduction. We have until now a few dozen complete or fragments of this variety of capitals. They are all believed to have come from uh, entryways or topped on top of pilasters in a royal palace or some other very large monumental building, all from the times of the first temple period, either in the kingdom of Judea or the kingdom of Israel, the, Mm -hmm. the other some of the famous examples are Tel Hazor, there right. is um, Megiddo, uh, a large 
assortment there in Samaria. Mount Grizim also had a variant. There's also on the eastern side of the Jordan. And then there's the Jerusalem region where you have in the city of David, in Ramat Rachel, which is quite near to us. Actually, we're in the middle between Ramat Rachel and the city of David, and two other sites in the Rafaim Valley, not far from Jerusalem. Now, almost all of these capitals were very, very large. They were capitals. They were capping on top of a doorway or some other ornament in a very large structure. And here in our excavation, we found at first small ones. You know, just like you have small, medium, large, extra large. So here right. also we found a uh, small one that I could hold on the palm of my hand. Oh, and then okay. later we found and later we found larger ones. They weren't the, the largest, but they were medium-sized. Three complete medium-sized ones. The medium ones measured about half meter long, uh, 30 centimeters high and 20 centimeters thick. So it was obvious that they didn't function as capitals on top of doorposts mm -hmm. or, or pilasters like the others that were found until now. Uh, uh, we re reconstructed them in a manner that they were uh, as capitals on, on top of smaller pillars, square pillars, not the circular ones like the later classic periods. And they supported probably uh, the roof of a porch or some courtyard or patio. So if you um, can tell us, it's, it's hard to describe it when we're just doing audio and not yeah. all of my listeners have been to Jerusalem, but it, it, can you give us some kind of an idea of where you're digging? I mean, we have the city of David, which we believe was the capital <laughs> during the first temple period. Then Jerusalem mm -hmm. expanded to what we now was the old city and the Western Hill. But you're on the other side of a valley, correct? O south and overlooking the city yes, of David and today's capitals. old city. We have capitals from the capital, indeed. <laughs> um, we're, we're overlooking the city. Um, the place is popularly known in English as Governor's House. Right. In Hebrew, Armon Hanetziv which is more of the commissioner's mansion. Right. It was constructed about 100 years ago for the residence of the British governor during the British mandate. Um, and once the British mandate was over, it turned into the headquarters of the UN uh, in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. This is two kilometers away south from ancient biblical Jerusalem, overlooking it on a very high vantage point. So it's a strategic location and there's a fantastic view. It yes. is the dream, I guess, of everyone to have his own private mansion and villa on that location. So mm -hmm. the British weren't the first ones who had it. Um, <laughs> others thought of the idea earlier. And I assume there probably wasn't a period where there wasn't some sort of palace or fortress or villa uh, by some rich, some mm -hmm. rich person with, uh, like you say, he also had some capital, meaning... Um, he had some uh, money. He had he the had capital him. to build a capital. Yes, to build yeah. some capitals. But when you yeah. found these capitals, were they like in a pile of rubble? Or 
unusually, like, had they been, had they been buried? Or, like, was this built? You know, normally we talk about destruction. You come and you see, you see a level of ash and pottery that's broken and, you know, mm. signs that something terrible happened there. And is, is that what happened, though, in this particular dig that you discovered? Very often when I introduce myself, I say, hi, I'm Yaakov. My work is in ruins. <laughs> Once- <laughs> You have to have a very good sense of humor, and it'll only get worse as the show goes on. But yes, okay. <laughs> Once a woman asked me, why? What happened? Uh, she didn't catch on. In right. any case, um, the capitals came from two different uh, uh, locations, um, what we call uh, a loki, locus. Um, the small ones, the small-sized ones, we found over a dozen of them. They were uh-huh. all in fragments. And they came from a rock-cut trench. Now, it is my theory that that trench was a foundation trench into which a foundation wall was constructed. But what happens very often in this country where a city is built and then destroyed and built and destroyed, that instead of going and buying new building blocks, they were just dismantled from a ruined structure and recycled. Mm-hmm. So in this case, if my theory is correct, the foundation wall was looted and only fragments, uh, crumbs of building blocks that weren't reusable uh, were dumped inside. Now, all these fragments of the small capitals and with the balusters, the little pillars that supported them on uh, um, the rail of windowsill, um, they were found in there and also with fragments of the windows, uh, um, uh, the, the frame of the window, mm-hmm. which had a recession, um, and a few other colored, painted uh, ashlar wow. stones. So all these were in the foundation trench. Um, so the first one I found was an indication of what was going to come in the following. Now, after that, we found the three medium-sized capitals in a different type of location. They were on top and alongside a plastered uh, floor, which I believe is some sort of agricultural installation. They were complete. They're three beautiful ornamented capitals. They're more beautiful than any of the others that were found in Tulnau, and they were also lucky enough to be preserved in a magnificent state. And we asked ourselves, what were the circumstances that uh, brought these beautiful capitals to be set on and alongside this this floor? Um, Because the site was really in bad condition. It was demolished and most of the stones were looted and there wasn't really much left. So we were very lucky to find them in the first place. What were the circumstances? It could be that someone decided to preserve them and therefore he buried them like some sort of guinea because mm-hmm. um, it would be a shame to have them looted or demolished and broken. Another option can say the opposite. Maybe they were deliberately removed from their location and um, set right nearby uh, an old toilet. It's ah. right near the toilet installation. So now we come to the latest. 
Right. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. would you mean to like desecrate them in to some desecrate way? Desecrate them. Mm-hmm. These hmm. were originally set in the palace of the Judean king or one of his uh, family or dignitaries. This is installation of the bathroom and the toilets, and that'll disgrace them. Mm-hmm. And the third option is that it's just a simple. They didn't care if it was beautiful or not. They needed a few building blocks to do some recycling, and they put them in a later, uh, very, very simple phase set upon the remains of the palace. Mm -hmm. So those are the options. I am not sure which I prefer. I think it's best if I just uh, suggest all the possibilities, and maybe we'll never know. Right. So tell us about the toilet. (laughs) <laughs> the toilets, we call that Locus Zero Zero. Oh, that's um, funny. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, we had a lot of humor relating to those toilets. Um, Do you know I, I why, know. by the way, the Zero Zero, by the way? I, I just, I found that out. It's actually O-O, from yeah, my I understanding, that. that it's officers only, that in the British Army, or I heard it from this, about the Syrian Army, that they used to have outhouses. I don't know if this uh-huh. is true or not. They were only for the officers, and the OO meant officers only, and that became kind of ubiquitous for a, for a bathroom. Okay. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know either. That's a, that's a new one for me. It sounds like what's okay. Yeah. Zero killed. Mm-hmm. So everything is okay. Mm-hmm. But I heard of another one of the OO. It's it's not zero zero. It's OO. And here you mix Hebrew with English. It's O P P O Kaki. Ah, okay. Or number one or number two. Sorry, if, if, sorry guys. It's going to be that kind of a show because we're be, talking about being serious things. I don't want to be <laughs> vulgar, so we'll sort of keep it in uh, uh, correct. Right. Right. Okay, um, but no, but in all but in all seriousness, finding a toilet is a tremendous mm-hmm. find. It means that it was the house of someone wealthy, correct? Mm-hmm. I mean, people yeah, didn't have indoor plumbing. It's so. archaeological proof that people went to the toilet once. Yes, definitely. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Assumed, but it was hard to prove. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, most people just uh, made the simple solution and uh, went wherever they could i guess behind a tree or in some abandoned area or a chamber pot kind of idea dumped it later disposable dishes or whatever and then got rid of them uh, with some sort of solution later on threw them Mm -hmm. over the city or down the cliff um so the, the the fact is that from this time period uh in the country we have about maybe 10 toilets discovered so far, about six from the city of David in the city limits. There's this one also. Here it is evidently in a very, very um, beautiful mansion and royal estate. And another two toilet seats were found um, uh, at Hill, not at the the well-known site, but nearby Mm -hmm. uh, Fortress. And another was in a city gate of the city of Lachish in the southern part of Judea. So all this proves that it's rare. Only rich people could afford it. And this is uh, not for crouching, but for sitting. In Hebrew, a toilet is also called beta kiseh. That's in the sources of the rabbis, Mishnah right. and Talmud. 
For example, a thousand years later, when rabbis uh, contemplate, who is a rich person? How do you define a rich man? So you had the wise theoretical idea that a rich person is someone who's content with whatever he has. Wonderful. You can't always go to the makolet, to, to the grocery. Right. That, but okay. It's good. It's good. It teaches you modesty. Yes. Um, besides that, um, another man said that uh, someone who has a very good and nice wife. Okay. Others, uh, I guess, suggested depends how much he has in stock in his bank account. But Rabbi Yossi said, if a person has a toilet, beta kise, uh, 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 the room with the seat near his table, near his dining room, that is a rich person because mm -hmm. only rich people had that. And the, the archaeological finds prove that it is rare. It is in only in very rare cases. And indeed, the toilet is not just made of some uh, uh, porcelain or something like that. It is a big block of, of limestone worked uh, to have a comfortable seating with a hole. That's why it's a holy stone. It's a holy right. toilet. Um, right. So you sit on it and uh, what goes out goes down. There's no water flowing there. It just goes down into a cesspit and collects there, I guess, until it's full or unless you make a new, a new one instead. It probably mm -hmm. wasn't in the house, but like outside, let's call it once an outhouse. Right. Um, this guy probably had slaves who could clean it out also without a big fuss. Mm -hmm. um, so is, is, it, is it possible that they knew like now, you know, I mean, for example, when I go to archaeological digs, which are very mm -hmm. far from civilization and they have a little chem they have chemical toilets that they bring and which are usually astonishingly clean and don't smell. Mm -hmm. And there's something in there that, you know, keeps it composting or whatever it is so that it's not mm -hmm. a nasty experience. I, I mean, is that possible that they had something that we don't necessarily know about that they could put in there so that it wouldn't be unpleasant? Are you able to, with modern science now, get some of the organic material or whatever is left inside that septic tank and be able to study what might have been in there? In the septic tank, we found uh, several things. Say, I'd say the, the more obvious and visible things were animal bones, mm -hmm. excuse me, and also uh, pottery. Most of the pottery were uh, bowls. Um, it is my assumption. Uh, first of all, um, the toilet can also be a garbage can. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming that they didn't eat pottery. You don't necessarily then. Only right, have exactly. to the number one or number two. You can also throw in cigarettes and chewing gum and all sorts exactly. of other uh, leftovers uh, from the surrounding area. So that's probably where they dumped some of the rubbish. Um, I have a notion that the bowls could have been um, either a temporary um, uh, vessels in which they did what they had to do mm -hmm. and then they dumped them in there, uh, especially if they're maybe cracked or something and they wanted to dispose of them. Right. But another option is that maybe on, in those bowls they had some sort of um, uh, aromatic oil yeah. which, was, which functioned as an air freshener mm -hmm. so it would be a bit more bearable to sit in there uh, and something would refresh in the air now there is today uh, um, uh, a discipline of uh, research which is called um, uh, residue 
analysis that is done in the labs of the Weizmann Institute. And there, the, it is possible in some cases to identify materials, organic materials, which left some residue in the pottery. So wow. that way we know sometimes storage jars or bottles or things like that, if they had this type of oil or another type of oil or wine or I don't know, uh, mm -hmm. other liquids. Um, so maybe when that research is done, we'll have some idea. Wow, that's besides, incredible. Yeah, besides that, the things that aren't visible to the naked eye are microscopic uh, finds that were found in the toilets. And there we have um, um, parasites which come from uh, the digestive system, which prove that this was not just a garbage can, but it functioned as a toilet. Mm -hmm. um, and other things were pollen from which were collected and like uh, soaked in to the residue of the septic tamp tank. Um, and that proves what was grown in the immediate area. And it proves also that these were royal gardens and not just uh, a simple park or a grove. They're very unique things which were found in a royal estate and not just in the background, uh, the, the backyard of a private home. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, so I, I know that in Ramat Rachel, for example, in the beautiful gardens there, Daphne Langhood, if I'm not mistaken, they, she checked the plaster and the pollen that had been caught there. They saw etrog pollen, uh, what we yeah. just used for, for Sukkot, and really were able to see that these were places where, where beautiful specimens or fruit were grown. But uh, just to get back to the parasites, would we be able to tell what they ate, what, what diseases possibly they had from uh, essentially the remains of a stool sample? I mean, there's no other way to say it inside the septic tank. Are we that far along in the archaeology and in the research of what you call this residue analysis to be able to ascertain some things like that from, we're talking about, what, 2,700 years ago? 2,600 yes, years ago? Yes, yes, 2,700 years ago. We don't know from that from the fill inside what they ate. We have the animal bones. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the, I believe they were initially analyzed as uh, sheep and goat. Um, so that is also proof of what right. were just pets. They, they, they ate um, the rest. Uh, if I remember correctly, the parasites that Daphna noticed also come also as a result of eating uh, cattle, if I remember correctly. Hmm. But since this is Daphne's uh, research and she didn't um, tell the story to, to the press, I'm not at liberty now to right. um, elaborate. Uh, you can... Uh, I'll grab her for a podcast at one point. My listeners are ready or ahead of me on that. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, so are you continuing to dig at this site now? No, unfortunately not. Um, we only excavated, I'd say, the the borderline of the site. Most of it is still probably buried underneath the roads surrounding uh, our excavation. Wow. Hopefully it will be accessible in the future. Also, our excavation sort of ended with the outburst of the coronavirus so that also uh, right. uh, it hastened 
end of our excavation. And since the excavation ended, a lot of our follow-up research was halted. So mm -hmm. we still have a lot of things that we have to do. Most of the finds are still in the storerooms, waiting to be treated, to be cleaned, to be um, restored, photographed, um, drawn, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then we have to write the full reports. Whatever's been uh, published until now is more or less a preliminary right. report. We have an article in Kadmoniot, mostly speaking of the capitals and the windows. Uh, also, in this Congress, we have an article, the, the proceedings of the of the lecture, the Congress and the lectures, but with the, the article that we published to get me together with uh, Efrat Motzer um, and uh, Liara Freud. Uh, we elaborated a bit more about the site and some of the considerations relating to it, but that's still not a uh, final report. Mm -hmm. Just to, to maybe circle my listeners in on why this is such an amazing time period, because, I mean, if we're talking about King Hezekiah and the Assyrians mm -hmm. in Sanchariv, and he really is, is the only king, and all the, the Assyrians did terrible things, and he's really the only king that rebelled against the Assyrians and remained on his throne, as it were. Um, and, mm -hmm. though, and Jerusalem ended up surviving for another 115 years. The if we're talking yes. about, let's say, minus 701, right, and the temple is destroyed in minus 586 by the Babylonians. Babylonians. And what, uh, some of the research that you're doing is shedding fascinating light on that little more than a century um, when we're really, I guess, kind of a vassal state uh, under, uh, under uh, Assyria, yet mm -hmm. still independent. Um, and a lot of what's going on, and it, it appears that Jerusalem actually was doing pretty well, no? I mean, if you're talking about a beautiful estate there, that there was, it wasn't just kind of uh, hobbling through, but there was mm -hmm. some serious wealth and a recovery from the Assyrian onslaught. Is, is that what your research, if you can share that with us, is, is that some um, of what you're guessing was happening? That is an assumption that this royal estate was constructed outside the city limits, obviously at a time where they weren't afraid anymore that uh, there would be some security threat. Right. Because otherwise, if there would be the threat of another Assyrian siege, then they wouldn't risk it. Mm -hmm. So it was probably done at a time where they felt secure. Um, now, unfortunately, we can't go to the resolution of ex the exact years or the decades. Who built right. it? Was it Hezekiah after the siege? Or was it his son Menashe? Or... Maybe it was Yoshiahu. We don't know exactly who exactly built it and exactly when was it out of use or destroyed. It didn't necessarily have to stand there until the temple was burnt in right. 586 BC. It could have been ruined during riots or some other uh, traumatic uh, mm -hmm. uh, time mm -hmm. before that. But, but in, in any case, it's, I mean, I, I guess everything you find just opens up more questions. Mm -hmm. yes. You get some answers and you get a lot you more answer questions. You one and you ask another two questions. Yeah, yes, but it's, still it's amazing. you can narrow it down to the 7th century BCE, it's pretty good. Pretty, pretty exciting. Good. It sheds light on something else, very exciting, very rare, in Jerusalem, when the first temple still stood. 
It like, doesn't get I mean, any better than digging in Jerusalem, I would I imagine. We had those beautiful capitals and the window frame with the art, with the fr the frame and the shelf with the balusters and the capitals. So when we, if you can show the audience also the reconstruction that we made, I call that the um, Israelite Windows operating system. Aha! Uh well, -huh. <laughs> very nice. So let me it's, just ask you. I know you only have. Clear. My name is Billy, not Bill Gates, but who knows. <laughs> <laughs> so let me just ask you, because my listeners know the, the last couple of archaeologists that I have interviewed, Dr. Shaibar and Dr. Devir Aviv, were a little worried about their English. That wasn't a consideration when I asked if, uh, if you would come on my podcast. Can you give us a little bit about your background and how you ended up being an archaeologist in what I think is the most exciting place in the world to be able to dig, which is, of course, the heart of Jerusalem? A little bit about your background? I would with pleasure, but I have to sign out oh, okay. really in a few seconds. So, all right. So we'll we'll do this again, maybe. Okay. Another opportunity with pleasure. Okay. okay? Thank you so much. Almost Dr. Yaakov Billig, who's uh, <laughs> really doing having some tremendous finds and uh, in Jerusalem that are exciting everyone around the globe. Right. So thank you so much for joining me here on uh, the Land of Israel Network. And, uh, and I hope to see you out in the field uh, when the next season starts. Thank you so much. Thank you also. Have a very, very good evening. Thank, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Over and out. Uh, okay, everyone. Um, I hope you enjoyed that. Just to, uh, just to fill you in, he is a former, I believe, from the United States, and that's, uh, and that's how he uh, is able to give us the information in, uh, in such high-level English. Um, so I hope you enjoyed that. I know we've had a run of archaeology, and uh, what can I do? It just seems like every time I, every, every morning I open up and I, and I see that there's something new that's been discovered or that they're announcing the discovery. Last week there was the Jerusalem conference, which I listened to, and uh, a lot of different things that have been discussed, and it's super exciting. So I hope that you're all enjoying that. I don't think next week we'll, we'll go away from our, well, actually, maybe not. We'll see. In any event, I uh, hope all of you are doing well wherever you are. Um, and it looks like things are opening up here and maybe some of you can even come and visit. It uh, looks like maybe in November we'll start having tours back again. I think I may even uh, have some guiding to do in a mission and I'm so very excited about that. And I also think I'm ready to hit the road again if things are opening up in other places. So if you want to see me wherever you are live, scholar in residence, speaking at your community center, uh, be in touch and let's see if we can't really plan for the future and for the next few months and uh, try and get things back to semi-normal. So once again, thanks to Ben and to Tabitha and to everybody at the station and uh, Eve Harrow, Rejuvenation for the Land of Israel. Take care, everybody. Goodbye for now. Let's try to use our time wisely to promote the truth about what is going on here, the reality here in the Jewish state of Israel. Join Josh Haston every Monday for Israel Uncensored. If we didn't have Iron Dome, more Jews in Israel would be hurt or injured or, God forbid, killed. Israel would have to respond more forcefully to attacks, and that would result in more lives being lost. 
Gaza, the Temple Mount, anti-Semitism, COVID, the Knesset, and more. Another example of Israel contributing to the world. It's not hard to find these stories. Each and every week, an Israeli company coming out with the latest technologies to improve quality of life for people all over the world in so many different fields. That's Israel Uncensored with Josh Haston on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com.